Hello, and welcome to Adventurous Polyamory, the podcast where we rip the shrink wrap off of non-monogamy and get into the messy reality of our lifestyle. I'm Rachel Barth, your hostess with the mostest, and I'm here to open up a big old can of truth and honesty about the joys and pitfalls of polyamory. I know going into it today that I might sound harsh at times. I'm sorry about that. I'll try to keep it light. I feel like this is a topic that doesn't get spotlighted often, and it really bears looking at. I want to talk about some types of polyamory family dynamics to watch out for and avoid. Some of y'all are new to polyamory. Others are veterans. I have seen plenty of veterans get sucked up into these polycule dynamics. So, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth, it is valuable to take the time to examine this stuff a bit more closely. I want to take a moment here and give a content warning. I will talk about abuse in this discussion. I will not be talking about any type of intense details, but I will talk about some situations with emotional abuse in our lifestyle. If that content is triggering or upsetting for you, then go on out of here and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right, with that out of the way, let's get to it. The number one problematic polycule dynamic is something I call the Chernobyl. For the younger ones among you, the Chernobyl nuclear plant was located in northern Ukraine, which was then part of the USSR. In 1986, it suffered a grade 11 extremely serious meltdown disaster. The fallout affected a wide swath of northern Europe. Up close, Chernobyl is a beautiful place. Lush, deep forests, winding rivers, and deep lakes. If you saw it today, you'd never know what had happened there. People, extremely stubborn Ukrainian grandmas, still live there having moved back into their radioactive homes fairly quickly. I think we all have a better idea today of just how stubborn Ukrainians really are, don't we? So what does this have to do with polyamory? What I call a Chernobyl-style polycule is one where everything seems beautiful, but somehow there's usually something exploding in the background. So this will be something like, You meet a really charming person and you go out with them a few times. They couldn't be nicer. But their anchor partner is an alcoholic. And then this other partner has an extremely stressful job. Or maybe another partner just seems weirdly disaster prone. Obviously, all these issues are, individually, things that wouldn't necessarily be a red flag to everyone. What you want to look at is the pattern. Are these people getting treatment or help? Are they floundering in misery or are they improving? How much bandwidth does your new friend really have for a relationship? How much of their energy is taken up with caring for these other partners? How good are the boundaries in this group? Do they understand the magical difference between my business and not my business? If that one person is having their third crisis of the month, is it going to be your job to pitch in and deal with it? On one level, you truly do want a polycule where if you have a problem, everyone will pitch in and help you. 
But there's a couple of things to look at. One, does anyone else ever get to have problems? Or is it just that one person? And two, what is the frequency on these problems? It's one thing if a person simply has a serious illness at the moment. Like if I got leukemia, I would legitimately expect my whole polycule to come and care for me. And if they didn't, I would sure as hell take notice. And I'm not going to always have this illness. If I don't die, I'll go back to normal eventually. But what if the person with the problem simply always has a new problem, week after week, month after month? At that point, you have to ask one last question. Will you ever get to be the priority in this picture? Will your problems be treated with the same level of support as that one person's problems? Because it's not fun to be in a family where someone else's problems continuously become your problem. You have a date planned, but then someone else has an emergency, and somehow this means that your date must be canceled. And this happens repeatedly. Someone else had a headache. Someone else had a bad day. Someone else is lonely, and therefore, you will just slide down the priority list to the very bottom, like a game of chutes and ladders. In the Chernobyl polycule, just like in the rest of Ukraine right now, the war never seems to end. The shelling may temporarily cease, but it soon begins again. Your only good option is to flee the whole zone. Notice, by the way, that the underlying problematic dynamic might be coming from different sources. We can easily see that there's something going wrong with that one person who is the official person with problems. So maybe it's them. But it's also possible that there's someone else in the polycule who thrives on always having a meltdown to fuss over. And so they are driving this endless fire drill for their own purposes. You could even have them both at once. A manipulative perpetual victim and an equally manipulative white knight rescuing away to their heart's content. If you get involved with the Chernobyl polycule, your life will become part of this endless cycle of crisis and rescue. You might even get to be the perpetual victim, which is also not a great position. Your life will fall to pieces with all the constant disasters. Like the NPC characters in the movie Free Guy, you will have no function other than to participate in mayhem. Nearby the Chernobyl, we might find the Toxic Swamp. It's like a darker, scarier version of the Chernobyl. Instead of constant rescuing, we find constant attacking. This is the dynamic where existing partners accuse each other of being abusive. Maybe one of them takes you aside over a cozy cup of tea and tells you all about how this person is a narcissist, that one is emotionally abusive, anything like that. Double points if they're accusing someone in their own polycule. I call this the toxic swamp because if you hang around, you will step into the muck and get sucked into the vortex of dreadfulness. Here's the thing. When people start to talk about abuse, it's pretty much a sure thing that someone is abusing someone in that situation. However, you have absolutely no way to know who's abusing whom from the outside of the situation. The simplest scenario is, it is in fact true as it was told to you. In which case, 
That polycule has an identified abuser, and that is reason enough to avoid everything to do with that person, who is a clear danger to you personally. When you know someone is an abuser, that is the reddest of red flags. But that's not the only possibility here. Sadly, the first story you hear is sometimes the opposite of the truth. If you get involved with this polycule, you might wind up assisting and supporting the abuser without even realizing it. My partner Kathy's mom is emotionally abusive, and she is so charming that people never believed Kathy when she tried to report this and seek help. Very typical for a narcissistic parent. Kathy's mom tells everyone who comes near her all about what a terrible person Kathy is, how she lies and steals. Only four years ago, mom crashed her car. It was totaled. Mom told everyone that Kathy stole her car. Mom is charming, while Kathy is deeply introverted, and people tend to fall for mom's persuasive personality. Well-meaning people simply didn't understand the situation, and they participated in the abuse without knowing it. Because of that, Kathy did not introduce anyone to her mom for about the last 20 years. It's extremely easy to be fooled this way. It happens all the time. Mom's behavior is very typical abusive behavior, adhering to the classic DARVO structure, deny, attack, and reverse the victim and offender positions. The abuser will accuse the victim of being an abuser. I've personally seen this happening between people I'm friendly with and even up close between people whom I knew pretty well. In fact, some of the people who are still in my ex-husband's polycule recently accused me of being abusive. I've seen these people accuse others of being abusive too. They published long pieces on social media telling everyone about how so-and-so abused them. Now, this could all be true, right? After all, sad to say, victims of abuse will often wind up being victimized again. So maybe they are just suffering repeated trauma, and I am an abusive person who is genuinely harassing them. Or maybe they are abusive themselves, and they are simply darvoing me for shits and giggles. I could tell you all about all the abusive things I've seen them say and do, but then I might just be darvoing them. In fact, I could be doing that right now. You, the listener, have no good way to tell what's true here. You might feel like you can trust me, but I could turn out to be just like Kathy's mom, couldn't I? And this is very typical in a toxic swamp. If you enter the swamp, it won't be long before you too either become an abuser or become a victim. And in either case, you'll probably still be accused of being an abuser. Kathy did ultimately introduce me to her mother. We got along great. But then she decided that I was breaking into her basement to use her laundry machines at night and leaving McDonald's wrappers strewn around the house. Yes, I am not making this up. 
Mom accused me of being a laundry bandit. You see what I mean? If you hang around people like that, you will not be able to avoid getting splashed with nasty-ass swamp sludge. Now, it's funny and ridiculous to be accused of laundry piracy. However, she could just as easily have accused me of stealing her jewelry. Or of abusing her. I could have faced police attention if Mom wanted to go that way. You see how dangerous this is? You don't know where the solid ground is in this terrible swamp. Look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Now imagine that there was another whole Amber Heard in that picture. Right? I mean, the mind absolutely shrinks from it. Unless you are actually a social worker, actually doing your job, you will do best to avoid this toxic dynamic. At most, you can put them all in the friend zone. You can be friends. But you can't get involved because you honestly have no idea what is really going on. And get any white knight crap out of your mind right now. You cannot rescue anyone or save anyone here. At best, maybe you could be there to support a friend who is getting out of the swamp. At best. It's incredibly painful to be helpless in this way. You know in your heart that something has to be done. Something has to be fixed. But you can't do it. Now, past these two ultra-deadly dynamics, there are a couple more things that I personally avoid, but they might be okay for someone else. The first one is the big daddy, or sometimes it'll be a big mama, since, of course, toxicity knows no gender. Big daddy really only has one rule. Everyone's hearts and minds must belong to him alone. The big daddy or big mama is often accompanied by some form of one penis policy, or I've also encountered one vagina policy. One penis policy, for those who have somehow not encountered it, is exactly what it sounds like. A version of polyamory where the partner with a penis is allowed to have several partners with vaginas. But the partners with vaginas do not get to enjoy several penises. One penis gets a lot of publicity, so to speak, but one vagina can be pretty common as well. Usually, practitioners of one penis policy will be very upfront about it. They may use words like king and queens. Often, they will have a philosophy or justification for it. Big Daddy is a sort of spiritual or emotional version of that. Big Daddy may be totally fine with having other men in the polycule. What he's not willing to share is essentially emotional primacy. He needs to feel that he's number one, the best, the most loved, all the time. So any man who's willing to support that dynamic is more than welcome. Because of this, one penis policy is not a necessary component of Big Daddy, although you may often find them together. Men, as a whole, are pretty comfortable hogging up both vagina and attention, so in general, you won't have any difficulty spotting Big Daddy or one penis policy. Big Mama tends to be harder to spot at first. When we study the management style of women in business, 
we find that women tend to be great managers because they work hard at building consensus, team cohesion, they are respectful of their employees' ideas, and they are supportive when their staff might need help or time off or anything like that. And Big Mama might look like that and might run pretty smoothly. Usually, Big Mama is not explicitly announced. It'll just show up gradually as you observe. Big Mama somehow always is at the center of attention, and she does not appreciate anyone coming near her sweeties. Big Daddy is nearly always completely cis-hetero, but Big Mama might have a bisexual component. For reasons that still escape me, bisexual women are yay around here, and bisexual guys are sort of mm, nope, nope, nope. Pretty sure that sexism and patriarchy are what's behind that bullshit. Anyway, Big Mama finds lots of little ways to discourage anyone from getting attached to her sweeties, as well as lots of little ways to discourage her sweeties from forming any other attachments. And again, it might be so subtle that you don't even see it at first. It's only in the overall pattern that you eventually see that, oh yeah, the last five people who tried to date anyone from that polycule all somehow disappeared within a couple of months each time. Hmm, what could be the reason for that? Big Mama won't usually come right out and announce herself. But if you try to climb on that train, you will soon find yourself tossed off, unless you're ready to join Big Mama's court of adoring fans and worker bees. Big Daddy and Big Mama are only interested in one opinion, and that is their own. Your opinion will be superfluous, and you will have very little decision-making power. Like the Highlander, there can be only one. And it won't be you. To me, these dynamics are both a form of hierarchy. As we have discussed before, there's not any inherent reason why hierarchy is wrong, unethical, or broken. Both of these dynamics, in theory, could work fine. The devil is in the execution. As you might be aware, in the Bible, everyone is practicing one penis polyamory. In the fullness of time, the rabbis decided that they wanted to put a stop to this practice. But they didn't actually outlaw it. They simply ruled that a man had to treat all wives exactly the same. No favorites allowed, no hierarchy among the wives. And since no one could live up to this standard of behavior, today, Jews and later Christians embraced monogamy. Big Daddy and Big Mama look that way to me, too. Are you really giving your all to caring for the needs of each and every partner? I've never seen it play out that way. I've never met a Big Daddy or a Big Mama who were truly focused on their partner's needs to that degree. It always seems to have a faint whiff of narcissism around it, or maybe even a fairly heavy stench. That's pretty much why I avoid it for myself personally. I can see how it might be possible for Big Daddy to work, like with a hefty DS component, full consent on everyone's part, maybe. I'm a little bit too much of a wild child for that scene, though. 
I prefer to keep my freedom within my commitments. Another dynamic I steer clear of is don't ask, don't tell. I expect you've heard me talk about this one before. Everyone has to do the best they can in this life, and maybe don't ask, don't tell is just what you got to do to get by. But personally, I avoid it, and here's why. Don't ask, don't tell is basically enshrining in the family rulebook a variety of underlying dysfunctions. So for instance, the person might say something like, my partner's totally fine with it and she knows everything I'm doing. She just doesn't want to hear about it at all. Generally, when we're fine with something for real, we don't have to avoid it the way ancient Greeks avoided the eyes of Medusa. When I don't want to hear about something, it's because it hurts me a little bit, or maybe even a lot, to hear about it. Like, I didn't want to hear about my ex-husband's fun sex with his girlfriends because he wasn't giving any fun sex to me. I respected his right to have fun sex with whoever he wanted, as well as the overall institution of non-monogamy. So in that sense, I was fine with it. But it still hurt me to hear about it, and I still had a real problem. So simply because of my own experiences with not wanting to hear about something, I tend to regard don't ask, don't tell dynamics as evidence of a buried problem that is simply lurking in the background and most likely fixing to pop out any minute now. It's the tip of a massive iceberg that has come between the partners. And that's the best case scenario right there. Worst case is, the person is flat out lying and the other partner, in fact, has no idea what's going on. Since the don't ask, don't tell dynamic generally means that you'll never even lay eyes on the other partner, you'll have no way to check out the truthfulness at all. You might literally just be a cheating person's sweet little diversion. A side piece. I just can't be comfortable with the way that don't ask, don't tell sets up a situation where I'm not ever allowed to look for myself. I was born in Missouri, y'all. I need you to show me. If I can't text the other partners to ask if I should bring a pound of coffee beans or a roll of paper towels to the house next time I drop by, then I don't want to be involved with that. We don't have to be besties, but I am simply not comfortable with a strict lack of communication. One closely related dynamic that is a massive red flag to me personally now is when the original partners never have sex anymore and it was a unilateral decision. Maybe it's just because of my own experiences or because of pain that hasn't fully processed through yet. I don't know. This dynamic gives me the feeling that something is rotten in the state of Denmark. It almost doesn't even matter to me what the rest of the situation is. Like, they could be the most freewheeling relationship anarchists ever and I would still be anxious about it. It feels like the tip of that massive iceberg that we just talked about. It's a large problem, and it was unilateral, and it usually has not been resolved to anyone's satisfaction. This one might be just me, I guess. I couldn't remain detached around this. I wouldn't be able to properly respect 
the right of grown-ass adults to run their own lives how they like. I would wind up meddling. I would get involved, and then I would probably cause a lot of drama. And since I disapprove deeply of all of that kind of behavior, I keep myself far from temptation in that area. Well, thank you for listening. Did I miss any polycule dynamics that should have been discussed here? Have you had your own experiences with the things I talked about today? I want to hear from you. Please reach out to me at unlimitedheartcoaching at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Instagram at unlimitedheart.com. Drop me a DM. I will answer. As always, I am available for coaching sessions. And if you feel you could use some help, get in touch with me for a free exploratory session. Coaching is perfect for any kind of problem solving in your life. And as we know, polyamory is full of interesting problems that do need solving. So as I say, get in touch for a free exploratory session. I appreciate you all so very much, and I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks.